The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks for being along with us tonight. Two guests for us tonight to kick the week off. In the first part of the show, we're going to talk to the author and CEO of, uh, he's an author, but he's also CEO of LabMD, Michael Doherty. We're going to talk about some of the craziness surrounding what's happening uh, around the country and indeed around the world. He's a bit of an expert in this stuff, and we'll we'll uh, we'll see what he has to say about it. Uh, also, in the second part of the show, we'll have Dr. Margot McKinnon join us. Dr. McKinnon is a is a PhD doctor, not a medical doctor, and also a psychic, and uh, she's going to talk about the five dimensions of self. A couple quick things. Join us on YouTube if you have not found our YouTube channel yet. It's a great place to be with the show, whether you want to join us for the live program where we stream and have a live chat room, or you check out some of the archives there. We've got about five, 600 back episodes of the show there that you can listen to, watch, whatever, but it's all there for your enjoyment. There's no charge. Just please subscribe. Subscribe for us. That helps us out a lot. Also, the podcast is available on all major podcast distribution platforms. All you have to do is search for it. The podcast is called Beyond Reality Paranormal. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms. And it's also a great way to stay on top of all the show's topics and guests. We do get some really great guests on the show. And I know that not everybody, every guest is everyone's cup of tea, but that's the beauty of it. We spread it out, and everybody gets to hear something they enjoy. Plus, uh, it makes us broaden our thought process, broaden our minds. I don't always agree with the guests that we have on the program, but I love to hear their points of view. I think that's very, very important. I think it's important to have an open mind and have an open dialogue. I hope everybody's doing really well, and I hope everybody's being safe. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we will bring our first guest of the night in. Again, Michael Doherty will be with us to talk about corona craziness. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, there's a lot of things that are, I guess, what we would call crazy in the world right now. Even crazier than this hair that I've I've needed a haircut now for, well, let me see. I've needed one for a month. And when I, when I needed one, when I started to need one, I was already a month overdue. So you can just imagine, and if you can see this, you can see that uh, it's a little bit nuts. But there's, there are far crazier things that we need to talk about. Our first guest of the night, Michael Doherty, is an author. He's also CEO of LabMD and Any Lab Test Now, Virginia. Michael, welcome to Beyond Reality. Great to have you here tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, sir. So there's a lot of stuff going on around us, and people are trying to make heads or tails of it. What do you think? What what should we be keeping our eye on at this point? As some people talk about reopening parts of the country, some people say you're foolish, you're putting Wall Street over lives. Where the heck are we in all this? Well, uh, <laughs> the, the plane's moving so fast 
And so you have to play the game when conditions aren't perfect. And, you know, I would, I would hope people really observe what they're observing, remember what people are saying now for months from now when we have all the real scientific data. This has all been a um, worst-case scenario reaction because China has kept a bag over the world's head. And for every day that goes by, we know more and more and more of what we should have known long before. And so uh, notice, you know, we were supposed to have 2 million deaths, then a million deaths. Now we're not supposed to even have 100,000 deaths. And the American public really better understand that people do die, and uh, we don't have a frame of reference given to us. And if we close the economy, we'll have more people dead than this. So um, that's just, uh, I don't know who doesn't get that in, in their lack of reality. And so, you know, it's important to um, pay attention to who is trying to uh, keep you afraid versus educated. So help me out with some of this, because I'm let, let, let me play the middle-of-the-road uh, person listening to all of this noise coming from both sides in many cases. Some people are telling me we're crazy, everybody's going to die if we don't stay home for another six months. And some people are saying, no, this is no worse than any other um, you know, uh, seasonal ailment like the flu, and it's just a big, big overreaction. One thing I do know is that there are a lot of people going to hospitals. That is a measure that's hard to comprehend as well. And where does that fit into the scope of all this? Should, is, that a, is that a big red flag that maybe this is far more dangerous than we're giving it credit for? No, because I beg to differ. There's a lot of people that are not going to hospitals now, uh, and the media doesn't report that. There's a lot of hospitals that are just ready to roll and hasn't happened, and they've all canceled elective surgeries as if your total hip or knee is an elective surgery, or you know, or if your uh, you know your your breast uh, tumor removal it has to wait two more months. So. You know, it's pretty appalling, the gaslighting that's going on, because it's pockets of, of, of reality everywhere. And even New York, as bad as it got hit, did not need uh, the Javits Center or, or the big ship. Right. So um, this is the type of fear-mongering story we have, because they, they'll hack truth everything, okay? They'll show a full hospital, but they won't show all the hospitals that aren't full. And uh, and this is a, this is a real issue uh, because they've put everything uh, you know on the brakes everywhere, and it's just not that simple. None of this is simple. Yeah, well, I think I think that's absolutely true, and probably a bit of an understatement. It's not simple at all. So, is it your position that from the very beginning, when we started to take action here, that this became a media fueled um, overreaction to the reality of what was happening? Um, no, uh, I, I don't. I, I, I would say it was a media-fueled uh, rea- uh, uh, opportunity they created to exploit their political agenda. So whatever came out of Donald Trump's mouth, they went the other way without even bothering to research anything. That's the problem. So when you have hydroxychloroquine and, and it has been out for 65 years and it is off-label, I mean, they made it sound like off-label FDA use was some crime. Mm-hmm. When I've worked in medicine for 20-something years, it's 
a joke. It's so normal. Um, it's a physician choice. And the, here you have the perfect drug to go off label. It's been out for decades. It is dirt cheap. It's off patent. It's used worldwide. It's in plentiful supply. And we know every, all, the, all, the, all the side effects so that we can manage the few people that might get those. Yet, oh, no, let's bury all that because Donald Trump's the one that said it. And Fox News. Now, this is terrifying. This is, I don't need to say anything else, quite frankly, to, to vilify the press for, for what their priorities truly are. It is not the American public's health. And so, you know, this, this how long have you been not beating your wife questions outside of a political realm in the middle of a pandemic is appalling. And I hope the public sees that and, and tries to get some balance and perspective and not allow themselves to be exploited and manipulated. You know, we hear uh, headlines every morning, um, 4,000 people died yesterday. What, I don't, I'm not even sure what the numbers are. But, you know, there's thousands of people that are dying. If, if the media turned its attention to the number of people dying, say, a flu, would they report, be reporting similar numbers every day? Uh, yes, uh, but but depending on the time and the season, and and that's not to mean that this didn't have a momentum that had to be headed off at the pass. See, so so I, 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 that's a kind of a question you have to be careful in answering because truthfully, I'm not saying we shouldn't have had any social distancing or people staying home for a while. Uh, but I, at the same time, what happens is because of fear and politics, you have people that love their power on the left and the right really going down, you know, and jumping the gun. Now, for example, the private beaches. They close public beaches, but then they close private beaches. Well, a private beach is going to have social distancing on it by default. It's not going to be outside the, 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 uh, the guidelines. And yet you've got them decimating a vacation rental in, uh, you know, uh, industry where you're not going to have the density of population if you close public access. And, and it's like, there goes your civil liberties. What? You know, there goes your, the government just comes in, and there's no way you're going to be able to litigate or fight this while it's going on. And, and that's the stuff I want to look at when this is all over, going, okay, some people just jump the gun in panic. And, you know, and as far as they were concerned, civil rights be damned. Uh, but this is different than a hurricane barreling against the coast and making you evacuate. Uh, so it was, there's a ton of examples of this. That uh, they, it was a little terrifying how 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 fast they're willing to take away your rights and how many people are okay with that happening. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I don't think that many people recognize what's happening right under their eyes or their nose. And we we've had a lot of stories about the governor of Michigan deciding what you can and can't buy things. You know things that just seem so arbitrary. But every single one of those decisions is a is a. Uh, um, Basically, a confiscation of a right guaranteed us in the uh, Bill of Rights in the Constitution. Are we going to come out of this uh, uh, seeing that for what it is? Or are we going to come out of this thinking it's okay for a mayor, a governor, or even a president just to wave an arm and say, okay, you can no longer do these things that are constitutionally guaranteed? I, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of it, and I, I think people, once something enters people's homes and affects their families, it wakes everybody up, and a lot of partisanship falls away. And that's what, what's so amazing about the potential fault. So I think that we will have people take notes by and large, but now without a fight. 
the people that have the power are never going to give it up, and they're going to fight like crazy. And they're going to spin, and they're going to scream the same old lines they've always screamed because they've got nothing else. It's going to be racism. It's going to be classism. It's, and, it, and this is the danger. And I don't know what's happened in our society the last 30 years, but we seem to just be hell-bent on letting politicians practice medicine. <laughs> and it is a maybe it's because everyone's born with an internet access in their hand since the time they're two, so they no longer really qualify who they're listening to. But this is crazy when we let these bozos get up there and make medical decisions, and that's what they're doing. And you know, the, the and the Michigan, the Michigan governor, and I'm from Michigan. I live in Georgia now, but the governor of Michigan is off the charts. And but again. Her crazy decisions are one thing, but look who's supporting her and how they're spinning it. Yeah. You know, and then if but you're living in Michigan, it's, well, people just by and large ignore it. Well, you know, or, you know, what are you going to do? So, um, you know, you can't buy, was it tomato seeds at Home Depot? I, some of the things that she, it was just crazy stuff, you know, and just arbitrary. And, of course, it's always the same excuse. There's no scientific debate on this. Oh, no, it's that if you don't go along with her, you don't care about, about death and destruction. You don't care about disease. You're a terrible person. That's what they do. You dare disagree with me, I vilify you. That never lasts. It seems as though, uh, as you mentioned, people are starting to wake up to this a little bit, and they're starting to question it. And I think the questioning is the first step in understanding what's actually happening. But is there any basis... I don't, I don't understand the process enough to know whether or not there is an emergency declaration uh, process by which a governor or a president has some temporary powers and authorities to do some of these things. Does that exist? It does exist. This is very unique, though. You know, where, where it exists is, again, what I said with the hurricane. Like, you know, it's going to come to the shore. It's going to barrel in the next 48 hours. you got to go temporary. Okay, this is what's different about this, and we've never been to this before, because we've never, see, we've never quarantined the healthy, ever. Right. We've quarantined the sick, but we've never quarantined the healthy. And, and we don't have time right now to debate this till it's over. But this is the problem, is they were given that power with the assumption that it would be short-term and it would be responsible. And that's questionable. But it gets into a big mess because then you start, I mean, the thing the left does better than anyone is the I know you are, but what am I political game. If you accuse them of this, they're going to go back on you, it triple down. The unique thing about this, though, is we really do have science. Usually they take these political debates and they throw it into Alice in Wonderland and they circle confuse everyone until it runs out of gas and it's over. But this is different. This is real science. And so you're seeing that that's no boundary for them and that's concerning to people. And it's a big violation of trust. And so, um, I, you know, I do think this is different. And, and you know, they, politicians always know to, if you really want to motivate the sort of the people that don't vote much, you've got to scare them in their yeah, own lives. Yeah. You've got to go to money, family, health, and you've got to get right into them, and they spook them. And they do it right before elections where there's no time. They did it Ted Stevens in Alaska, you know, and, and, and they do these things, and then, you know, it kind of fades away. But this, this is, this is, this is going to stick in people's memories because this impacted everybody. It wasn't just something you saw on TV, flipped it off, and went back to your life. Something that um, 
has crossed my mind, and tell me what you think of this scenario. We have for the first time, and of course, this is a health scare, but uh, but it, but it's always, quote-unquote, the science, right? The science is the justification for these decisions these politicians are making and these restrictions these politicians are enforcing, right? It's the science. So what happens now that we've opened this door? What happens when we have um, a, a, a summer with extra hurricanes or a hurricane season with a few extra hurricanes and uh, a governor decides, you know what, this is based, this is global warming, uh, this is climate change in action. The science says we need to enforce restrictions. Therefore, I am going to mandate X, Y, and Z based on the science. I mean, it seems like we've opened the door to that. We have opened the door to it, and this is the this is the, this is why this mountain's so steep. Because what doesn't exist in any of these governments in this country the last hundred years is truly accountability. So when you you know we have so many lazy you know citizens who don't understand their power, and therefore they give it away so easily, and they drink that Kool Aid that the politicians out to help us, which is cr- which is insane. But, you know, I've spent more time in in, in Capitol Hill. You know, 20 years ago, I I thought that, too, until I got dragged into the political scene. And I'm like, whoa. You know, I mean, it's really a a completely different world. We're lying. This is the hardest part for Americans to get their head around. I, I know this. Lying is normal, like eating with politicians. Normal. It is so abnormal to a healthy human being. Politicians, by and large, are not healthy human beings. So this lying is normal. And, then, and so we're seeing that they'll do it at this level of public health care. And we would have assumed that wouldn't have happened before. So that's where I'm going to see. But, but it's up to us, ultimately, to do things like the, uh, uh, the, the recall vote for the governor. Something has to get so high that they should pull that. They should recall her. But what has happened now? Oh, the, de- the DNC and, and Debbie Dingell and everyone came swarming in to circle and confuse with the classic line, you know, you're, not, you're, you're spreading disease. You don't care. You know, they find someone without a mask and gloves or they find some loon with a swastika and they gaslight that everyone's like that. Yeah. And because they're... They are without boundary. And, uh, and when you're without boundary, it's a little bit liberating when you're a pathological liar. They have no boundaries. They'll keep going no matter what. Why is it that in some circles, and I would say in the majority of circles, China seems to be getting a free pass on this, when in actuality all evidence points to the fact this was a complete, irresponsible, uh, um, and dangerous effort by the Chinese to cover something up that turned into what it's turned into? Well, because by and large, Americans are passive in the sense of you're guilty to proven innocent, and they're naive to what's really gone on in the globalism, because we really have had such comfortable lives in the last 30, 40 years that we're all kumbaya. So we have no comprehension of how terrible China can be, and we've allowed ourselves to be made so vulnerable by our leaders, Republican and Democrat, since Nixon, on empowering China. And, you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And the second time they show you who they are, it's your fault if you don't get it. So we're still here waiting. This is, I say, this is like a plane crash where we've got, you know, it's, it's a shock and we've got parts all over the place and we've got to figure this out for ourselves and that's going to take a year or two and then we'll have a report. But this is, we've got the fingerprints of this and we will figure this out. We already are figuring it out. And it will, it will um, you know, this is going to be interesting to see who is going to break. Now, 
you know, when I see, uh, you know, scientists and people more on the center right screaming about this Wuhan uh, lab a month ago, and then once it starts to really crack in the quote-unquote mainstream medium three days ago, you got breaking news from CNN. The funniest part was the breaking news part. It wasn't breaking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so the public has to go, I'm turning that off. What what do you think? What do you think the percentage is? Do you think we can say it definitively now that this came from a lab? Well, no, I mean, not definitively yet, because we don't really have the, the bust. Of, but, I mean, let me tell you something, the wind is blowing that way real hard. I mean, just so much of the logic of what goes on, what happened in that lab, it's the only lab in China at that level, uh, the fact that the Chinese are parasitic thieves. They are not inventive, okay? You don't have creativity in that type of culture. That's why they have to steal everything. Well, when you have to steal everything, you know, you're not good at handling things. And it doesn't surprise me they bungled it. And then when you're as corrupt as they are, and I'm talking about the communist regime that's all over that culture, by the way. It's spread deep and wide. Then what do you think is going to happen? Okay, but knowing it versus proving it are two different things. But we'll prove it unless there's so much internal pushback. But I don't don't think there's internal pushback enough anymore. We've got Trump. I think Trump will win again. And and, and, and this this entire elite class of globalist people have gotten so deep into the fabric of our government, we don't understand that we've given those people 50 years to, to, to burrow in, and it's going to take a while to get them out. And this is a big observation lesson, and it will take a while to get rid of them. Let's talk silver linings. And yeah. uh, while, while we're talking about China, do you think that um, whether it's Trump, whether it's Congress, whether it's the American people will finally recognize how foolish it was to allow China to steal our entire manufacturing base, to allow China to become our uh, basically our complete manufacturing uh, warehouse? And do you think we'll start doing things that'll that'll I don't know force is the right word, but certainly encourage American companies to come back, start building their products here domestically with American workers? Depends. Well, it won't be Congress, I guarantee you, because that place is just theater and has been for 100 years. Uh, it, it could be Trump if he keeps pushing it. Uh, but it's always going to come to the American public's job to save themselves. It's all about money, because we have already created this. You can't dismantle this thing in two seconds. And we have created these huge companies, Apple, 3M, Michael, I don't care. I mean, that, that are that we're a sales territory. These people, right. most of these mega companies have bigger budgets than most countries of the world, and they and we are a sales territory. So all that's going to matter to them is money, and we are going to have to put our foot down and say, "I'm not buying that stuff," and you're not going to get it. Now, it, you know, and we have to hold congressional people accountable if they look the other way. This is going to be uh, Biden's big problem because he is marinated in China. He's made millions and millions off China. His son got a massive kickback with no skill or brain function whatsoever. You can't put that genie back in the bottle, but you can try to circle and confuse the public. And you can try to, to kick the can down the road, and it all is going to come down to how, how much the people really want to pay attention now. Because they better understand that, you know, this, this, was set, this stage was set to happen by what we've done the past 30 years. And you see how, unlike 9-11, where this country was so unified, this country split in this because yeah. this 
is threatening everyone's political beliefs. And people I have learned, especially since Obama won the second term, people will lose their minds and deny reality before they'll change their political beliefs. That's true. <laughs> they ignore the carnage right in front of you, right in front of you, and they will look the other way. I mean, people actually go to San Francisco and think that Nancy Pelosi cares about public health. Are you kidding me? You know, it's, it's a disgusting place now. And yet the people there are in some sort of denial because they don't want to give up their self-appointed, we're so liberal, we're so kind, we care so much, we're so egalitarian. As they let sick people get sicker and they let people live in squalor, and when it rains, it smells like urine smell in the air. And, they, and you can't get away with it. And it's amazing how they just block it off couple other possible silver linings we've, we've already addressed one and that's the idea that we'll wake up and say wait a minute we can't just be giving our uh, constitutional freedoms away the first time a politician says the sky is falling and then the, the second one is will we actually figure out how to handle uh, pandemics or, or uh, dangerous pathogens in a, in a way that will be effective and a little less disruptive um i don't know because you've seen one disease, you've seen one disease. And so um, the way we'll, and I mean, I think it would be a mistake to say, we've got to have hospitals everywhere because, folks, people die. (laughs) You know, it's like, if we shut the whole world down, we're going to kill more people than we're going to kill through the disease. So maybe our own heads have to understand what that looks like. I actually don't think, I think the worst part about this whole thing has been supplies. That has been the big glaring thing to me is supplies because we have, we've taken, we've, we put ourselves on thin ice and that's what really has to change. Uh, and that is we have to hold people accountable that are disloyal to this country when they base themselves here and thrive on this country. And then they go and fill foreign you know, foreign uh, countries orders first for masks and, and gowns. And I know you're talking about 3M here. I am. And, and, I, yeah. and I watched all the memes and the, the, the quote-unquote news headlines scrolling through Facebook. And, you know, it, it, it portrays uh, our president as being a demon because he refused to sell masks to Canada. When the reality was 3M was putting uh, basically American security at risk by selling the masks to the highest bidder on the world market instead of taking care of the American needs first. I mean, that was kind of the crux of it, wasn't it? Right, and, it, and they're all, this is the whole outside world that le- the United States is just a territory to exploit because this starts with the, the, head going, the, the, the bag going over our heads, and then we're putting our leadership in this reactive mode, and you, you don't have time. I mean, you're going to hit the ground, so you've got to make gut reactions. And I'm thankful Trump was in there compared to some bureaucrat as president because it's an entrepreneur that has gut reactions reactions and knows it. Look at the difference in temperament between Trump and Fauci or any of these lifelong politicians. I mean, Fauci is a scientist built in the lab. Those people are just, they would never do something off the cuff to save their life. He can't make himself do it. You know, and so he, he's just afraid to say, the guy was saying a few days ago, we probably should never shake hands again. I mean, this guy's a doctor, okay? That doesn't mean he is a perfect human being. It is, and it's ridiculous, but he's not, he's outside of his lane. You know, he doesn't, he, so, so it's like, please don't, please take everyone with a grain of salt. Trump, everybody. But, I mean, but really, it doesn't take a rocket science to see who's actually, actually trying to deal with this. And, and let's be reasonable. 
But if you're trying to attack people as they're trying to save the the country because you've got you're mad that he's president, and so you're not going to look at, at at scientific suggestions and you're going to keep saying stupid stuff. I mean, I think I think that's something that that shows where your priorities are, and you got you got the caboose in front of the engine. You mentioned one of our problems uh, with this particular pandemic and will probably be our problems with other pandemics with supplies. And one of those supplies was testing. That was very uh, problematic in the beginning. Is it possible, and you've got some experience with this, is it possible to have tests ready for something you don't know exists? No, but it, but you know, we're pretty darn sophisticated, and we've got them already. And I will tell you, had again China let us know ahead of time, there's more than one way. You know, we're short on swabs, but I don't really think that's a great thing. I think most of this has to be blood tested, and now we're having to ramp up supplies. We've got capacity, but this is what happens. What you know, we don't have the money to stock the whole world with a pandemic level supply chain of woulda, coulda, shoulda. But we got put in the position of woulda, coulda, shoulda by China. It was there. We just weren't told. Because that's what tyrants do. They lie all the time. And they don't get caught 90% of the time. And this is a big gotcha. Yeah, for sure. Uh, We're we're almost out of time, Um, Michael. I want to ask you about your book, uh, The Devil Inside the Beltway. What's this about? Well, I, well, the reason I'm so politically involved is because I, I built a medical laboratory and, and founded it, and it was doing very well. And after 14 years, we got a call from some cyber crook that said he, he found our files out in cyberspace. And I didn't believe him, and he tried to extort us, and he turned us into the government. The government started investigating us instead of him. And it was a 10-year ordeal that destroyed the operations of, of, the, uh, of the company, 700,000 cancer patients, 40-some employees. And everyone was fine with destroying a, a medical laboratory or out of an unproven maybe. Uh, and so I wrote the book, The Devil Inside the Beltway, and that launched a congressional investigation and got a lot of people involved. I never thought I was going to do that well to have that happen. And it is a well-written book. It's written like a novel. It's been out for six years. And we finally proved after all that stuff that the inside system of justice in this country is broken. And then when bureaucrats lie... They use their power to go corrupt and cover up their mistakes. And uh, it's been a long road to prove it, but that's what The Devil Inside the Belt was about. And then after the book came out, Daryl Issa got involved in a congressional report. I won in court. I won at the 11th Circuit. A whistleblower came out. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing stuff. The New Yorker wrote about it uh, last November. You can Google the New Yorker, Lab MD, and read. It's a shocking, shocking, long piece about um, how a, basically a, a cyber criminal hack, not even a good one, can bamboozle all these government leaders from wow. Republicans to Democrats to intelligence officers. It's just it's scary how easy it was to fool them. And they're so embarrassed how they cover up accountability. One last question. When did Bill Gates become a pandemic expert? Uh, Bill Gates is a hack, and he is, he is ruthless. <laughs> so, you know, and this is another problem. I mean, it's, the left is so ironic. I mean, it, suddenly the, the, the richest guy is the nicest guy. Uh, you know, I wish Steve Jobs was alive. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that's exactly it. He, 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 people have to not, uh, not be so starstruck by that guy and do a little background homework. <laughs> Where can people get the book? 
Uh, Amazon. You can't go into a bookstore right now. So it's yeah. Amazon, an e-book, audiobook, hardcover and softcover. It's uh, written like a novel and researched like this. Michael, so. I think you and I have a lot more to talk about. I hope you'll agree to come back at some point. Yeah, I'd love it. All right, terrific. Thanks for being here. Again, Michael Doherty, you can check out more information at his website, which is the same as the book's name, thedevilinsidethebeltway.com. It's Beyond Reality. Looking for our guest's book? Go to amazon.com slash shop slash Taps. I know this coronavirus discussion, regardless of what side of the issues you're on, uh, gets a lot of people animated. And let's not make a mistake. There are people that are getting sick and there are people that are losing their lives and there are people that are losing loved ones because of this. None of this is to be taken lightly, regardless of what your position is. But everything requires a balance, and that's the magic formula, trying to figure out what the balance is. And uh, we hear a lot of one side, and sometimes it's important to hear the other. So that's what we try to do. Anyway, now we're going to be talking about something completely different, although there will be a bit of a connection. Our guest for the rest of the program is Dr. Margot McKinnon, a public speaker, also author of a book that's called The Body, Mind, Spirit, Soul, Oneness, Oneness, Dominance Theory, A Guide to Elevating Your Five Dimensions of Self. Margo, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. This is going to be fun. I'm really excited to, to, uh, to chat about this. Um, but before I do, tell me a little bit about how you're dealing with what's going on in this, uh, this crazy world we happen to live in today. I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and uh, I'm self-isolating. I go out for two bouts of exercise per day, and uh, let's see, I go to the grocery store. But mainly I'm staying home, and occasionally I go for drinks in somebody's driveway on a Friday <laughs> afternoon, now that the weather's warming up. What are they calling that? It's like driveway cocktails or something. I've, I've seen something about that. Is there a name for it that you're aware of? Because it seems like a lot of people are doing it. It's like the six-foot happy hour, you know, and we've got the (laughs) six-foot radius, and we sit in the driveway, and we bring our own glasses and our own uh, beer, and we sit out there and have a drink. Well, good for you. I think that's that's time well spent. We still need to socialize in some way. A lot of people are doing it virtually by using Zoom or Skype or one of these other services and getting together. Actually, seems like... I noted my sister posted on Facebook today that she and a bunch of her high school friends she hadn't seen in years all got together for a Zoom happy hour and had a great time. And these are people that if there was no restrictions, she probably wouldn't have reconnected with. So it's actually kind of uh, spurring some people to get reacquainted. Totally true. I'm having Zoom happy hour tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Oh, nice, nice. Tell us about your journey. We're going to be talking about your work as a public speaker and as an author, and particularly your book uh, that discusses the five dimensions of self. Tell, tell me about your journey, how you got to a point where this was something that you wanted to talk about and write about. This model, first of all, came about when I was doing my master's degree at the University of Calgary. I used to be a high school English teacher, and uh, they wanted me to become a principal, and so they said, you have to go get your master's degree. So I did, but I took one course just for myself, and it was called the Philosophy of Mind. And the first homework assignment was, how are the body, mind, spirit related? Well, that was totally up my street because I was one of those little kids who could see ghosts. I had visions into the future. I, um, I could see things around people. I could tell what illnesses they had. So I had this already uh, growing up. It was a very natural part of who I am. When I was given this assignment, I went home 
and I laid down on my couch, and I always use one of those yellow legal pads, and I lit a candle, and I asked, I said, tell me, what, how are the body, mind, spirit related? And I have this very deep voice that comes in and tells me answers to things. And this voice came in, and it said, we have more than three dimensions. We have five dimensions. And it started with oneness. We have a oneness dimension, which is our God dimension, universe, higher power, whatever you use to describe that. We have this as part of who we are. And it's also our sense of connection and belonging. We have a soul dimension, which is our, our purpose in life. We have a spirit dimension, which connects us to the unconditional love from the other side. So our spirit is there, and it remembers that part. We have a mind dimension, which is our logical, rational self, and we have a body dimension, which is our physical self. didn't stop there. It said we're born dominant in one of those dimensions, and we grow the other ones over time. I'm linking this to the, how, we're, how we're dealing with the coronavirus right now. I had to give a talk on this yesterday at a spiritual center. And as I go through and explain to you what these dominance profiles look like, I want you to think and I want the listeners to think about people in their life that remind them of these uh, five different dominance profiles. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Let's think about body-dominant people. Love, hair, makeup, fashion. But when their spirit came into being human, they love all of the food and the wine and the socializing. They love having a body. You have a mind-dominant person. Their spirit comes in and they know how to organize everybody, systematize us, get the finances, the politics. They want a system for all of us to live in. Love it. You go over to the spirit-dominant person. Now, remember, they, they've come from unconditional love. They remember it. They come down into being human. And some of your listeners are really going to relate to this. Their spirit looks out their eyes, and it's like this is a harsh and abrasive place. It's like having to go to a party they don't want to go to. And very often, they just want to go home now, back to the other side. Soul dominance are the people who are really on purpose. So we look at some of our frontline workers now in the hospitals, these soul-dominant people who will risk their lives every day to go in and save people. These are soul-dominant people. And then you look at oneness-dominant, and they're the ones that want everybody to be full of connection and belonging. And that's basically the model. Can you see any, anybody you know in this model? Um, yeah, I think, I think it makes sense for a lot of people I know. And what I find interesting is how you respond to stress. Body-dominant people, when they're really stressed, they micromanage the body side of life. So they want um, all of this plastic surgery, liposuction and boob jobs and <laughs> lip implants and everything. It's to feed on a body-dominance fear of growing older, and the fashion magazines and the very thin models. If you look at how mind-dominant people handle stress, uh, they micromanage. 
they think they're now. I want you to think of somebody. You might this might sound like somebody that you know handling the COVID virus right now. They want to micromanage everything. They want to be the smartest. Uh, they want to uh, create this system that has a logic to them, but maybe not to everybody else. Uh, they want finances above everything else and put everything into their own model. You can decide who this sounds like. Then go to a spirit-dominant person. When they're stressed, they turn invisible, kind of ghost-like, and they retreat from the world, and they feel really sad, lonely, and depressed, and they want to go home now. A soul-dominant, they don't care. They just keep on working. They just have their projects, and they don't care whether anybody likes it or not. They can look very eccentric to everybody else. The oneness, when they're stressed, my neighbor is a oneness-dominant person, and she's always so upset if somebody doesn't want to come to the big family reunion because everybody should be coming. And so that's how these profiles work. What do you think? I find that very interesting, and I, you know, with each one that you offered, I could think of a person or two that would fall into those categories. Um, and we're going to get into more of that discussion too. I, I want to find a little bit more about you. Um, I want to go okay. back to this experience you had, where you were this. A lot of this was coming to you through a voice. From, mm-hmm. f- in your opinion, what was the voice? Where was it coming from? Was it coming from within you, or was this some type of spiritual, or maybe even divine? Uh, communication that you were experiencing? What do you think it was? I think it's divine. And this it, this was not the first time the voice came to me. The first time I, I, well, I talk about it when I was four years old. And I've listened to your program. And I notice a lot of people like me, something happened to them very spiritual at four That's years right. old. I was four years old. I was playing in my living room. I was putting my little doll, Michael, to bed. And I heard this voice out of the darkness say, you are to be a teacher. And I said, okay, I will. I became a high school teacher, and now I teach this. I'm not teaching high school anymore. That voice was there. But then I went thinking back, and I really highly recommend to people to write out their own narrative of their spiritual experience. It made me think when I was writing this book, it made me think of an experience when I was three when that voice was there. And I I used to live in Cocoa Beach, Florida, and we had this house right on the beach. And I was down there playing in the water, but the waves kept knocking me down, and I was only three. And I could see my parents just in the distance, and the water was just past their knees. And But they didn't realize I was drowning. And I didn't have enough strength to fight the waves, and the undertow was pulling my feet out, and the waves were crashing over my head. And I heard that voice say, with the next wave, let it push you down to the bottom. Dig your toes into the sand and let the wave push you onto the beach. And then, of course, I came over to my parents. Didn't you see I was drowning (laughs) over there? So that voice has been with me since I was young. And I can call on it. I call on it for clients when people want to ask me, why do I have this illness? Or what do you think my purpose? Can you go in and ask for me what my purpose is in life? I've learned how to, the circumstances upon which it comes into my life and when it leaves. 
So I've really worked on uh, trying to make it a very strong voice in my life. And if I don't listen, that's when I really get myself in trouble. You know, it's funny. I was about four years old and I was playing in my room and I heard a voice saying, JV, you need to grow up to be a physician, be a doctor and take care of your parents. Turned out it was my mom around the corner kind of whispering it to me to try to (laughs) influence me. No, just kidding. But um, I want to know also about your psychic, uh, the psychic part of your life. Obviously, it ties to what you just told us. But at what point did you realize that this was a bit of a unique gift? It was normal for me, for starters. I used to lie on my bed when I was just a little kid, like, let's say, five, six years old. And I'd say, how long do I have to stay here? I knew I was a spirit wearing around a body all day long. My body always felt heavy. I'm five, ten and a half, so I was actually given a very big body to lug around. Uh, I used to lie in my bed, how long do I have to do this all day? <sighs> Breathing. <laughs> I, I, and I used to wake up in the night and I'd see ghosts all around my bed, and they'd be trying to talk to me. And over my lifetime, I had to learn uh, I really had to learn which voices to pay attention to. When I was about eight, I heard of that same voice say to me in my living room, die, breast cancer, 36, oh, you'll miss your mom. And I saw my mom in the living room. She was setting the table. And my dad came home from work, and I was crying. He said, what are you crying about? I'm going to die of breast cancer when I'm 36. He said, you're too little to think of things like that. As it turned out, my mom died of breast cancer when I was 36. Oh, wow. As a child, I didn't always know how to work out what the voices were trying to tell me. And that's been my mission in life is uh, how to organize the thoughts around these voices, what to understand about them, and why do I have it? Why was I given this has always been my big why. Do you still have interactions with ghosts? Do you still see them around you? Do you still have them talking to you? I try to turn that part off because I wanted to learn more about the deeper voice because it told me really profound things about life. I see ghosts every once in a while. If I'll turn around and there's one standing in my living room. And for example, there was this, young man standing in my living room while I was writing my master's thesis. And he would never say anything to me. And I said, why are you here? And I I said, I can't talk to you. I'm writing my thesis. So unless you want to talk to me, I'm going to carry on working. And then I saw in the newspaper that a PhD student had gone missing and his roommate was looking all over the place for him. And the police were involved. And then I looked at the name and I looked and the picture of this missing student. And I looked at this ghost. And it was the same person. And uh, I said, what's your name? And he said, Michael. And then they found him. He had jumped off one of the bridges and he was, oh, had, wow. had, uh, and he was under the ice. And he said, I was told that you know how to put us back in. And I said, I know how to put you back in if you're in the back of an ambulance and you have a body that can go back, you can go back into. I know how to do that. I can't put you in because your body is too far gone. You need to go and say goodbye to your roommate, say goodbye to your parents, and then go into the light. 
I only see ghosts every once in a while now. The voice I can bring in a lot of the time. Most of my day, I can bring that in. You also but said... what I find... No, go ahead. What's that? Yep, no, go ahead. Continue with well, your thought. Well, well, what I find really interesting about the way this model was told to me, I one time the voice came in and said to me, you have to go to Scotland. And if you can tell by my last name, I'm a McKinnon, and that's a Scottish name. That's my heritage. You have to go to Scotland. We have a message for you. We, always this we, we have a message for you. Off I go to, of course, I buy my ticket. I go to Scotland. I find where my ancestors, the land that they stood on looking out, because my ancestors came to Canada way back in 1823. So I thought, what possessed them to get on those boats go off into wherever, right? Real pioneers. Um, I, I got to the land where they were. I found this rocky ledge by the ocean, and I lay down there, and I said, why did you give me this, the dominance theory at this time in history? And the voice said, because body dominant to the extreme are killing the earth with materialism. Mind dominant have created such a structure for us to live in that we don't want to live in it anymore. It's, we have so much depression and loneliness and people are on medications now because the structure is just so tight. We can't live the life our spirit came here to live. And at that time, the voice, and that would have been about 10 years ago, the voice said to me, you need to teach spirit dominant people, the people who really understand what unconditional love is, you need to teach them to stop being invisible and to rise up to leadership positions because we have too many mind-dominant and stressed-out mind-dominant people running the world. And we need more spirit-dominant people to rise up to leadership and not be turned off by having to go through an interview by a mind-dominant person. I've been doing that for the last 10 years. The last, this past year... Last summer, the voice said to me, uh, I do presentations for teachers all over Canada, basically. And I, this year it said, do the loneliness epidemic. And I said, okay. So that was August. I had to get my abstracts in. My presentations were February. So this is far before uh, COVID-19. And I made my presentation, and I got to my presentation room, which was 9 o'clock the first day of a two-day convention, and I had 200, room for 200 people, and I found out that I was up against somebody from Dragon's Den. And I thought, who's going to come to my session when they can go and watch the keynote speaker from the Dragon's Den? As it turned out, my session was packed and had a huge waiting list. And it occurred to me, as I saw all these people out there, the loneliness epidemic, loneliness means that your oneness dimension is very low. And I realize now that with this COVID-19, that it's really a, a, an opportunity, it's a catalyst, actually, for our one, to strengthen our oneness dimension. So Mike Doherty, I was listening to him before you, before I came on, and um, he was talking about the political side of things, and I was thinking more in terms of what is COVID-19 a catalyst for in our transformation as human beings? 
And since The Voice told me to do the loneliness epidemic, it's become a catalyst to develop our oneness dimension, our sense of connection and belonging. Because we've had hurricanes, we've had fires, we've had floods, we've had, you know, hurricanes and earthquakes. And they're so localized. But Mm -hmm. this is a global phenomenon now. And it's really through the oneness dimension that we're going to get through it. And if you watch some of our leaders, every day I watch the news and up here in Canada, and we have uh, two, two uh, on the Western side, two phenomenal health experts that come on every day. And they really exemplify the five dimensions of self. So the one in BC, for example, She's even getting rock star quality because they, they're following around about her shoes <laughs> because <laughs> she always wears these cool shoes and cool necklaces. And, so, and she always looks great when she's out there. She's been, um, with the mind dimension, she's been on top of every single virus all over the world. Very, very intelligent woman. The spirit of her, the passion she exhibits when she's giving her talks and her soul dimension really, really on purpose. And the reason why people are listening to her is because of her, her sense of oneness is really powerful. She really cares about everybody and everybody feels. So is it beneficial for someone to recognize where their dominance is and use that to their advantage? Or should they recognize where their dominance is and try to diversify by accessing some of the other parts of self? Well, I would say if you want to grow your whole life, I'll be 90 years old in a senior's assisted living home, writing about what it's like, elevating my five dimensions at 90. My father turned 90 this year, and he wrote his autobiography because he's written that he's a he has lived a very remarkable life. Uh, so it's all about growing. So I see our lives as a spiral. And I look at, say, my body. I'm not a body-dominant person. I'm a spirit-dominant person. But I think, okay, what part of the body dimension do I need to elevate? My family, I have a lot of body-dominant family members, and they love as a family to go uh, race each other up a hill on snowshoes. I'm just not body enough to want to do that. And I feel comfortable in saying that now. I am body enough that I jog four miles every day. I do uh, weights every day. But I don't want to be racing anybody up a hill on snowshoes in the winter. <laughs> I'm, I get, you know, you were talking about your hair earlier. Who cares? I don't really care what my hair looks like. I try and get it cut <laughs> as often as I can. I don't, I'm not a person who has nail polish on or... I, I love it in others, but it's, I feel I'm body competent, and I'm good, at, good with that. But where I do want to grow in the body dimension, I want to be a better cook, a better baker. Uh, go over to the mind dimension. I wanted to get my PhD because I wanted to see, I wanted to elevate, and I wanted to see if a spirit-dominant person like me could go to the University of Oxford and get my PhD in a mind-dominant system. I wanted to see if I could crack through that mind-dominant system, and I did. And now I think, okay, well, I thought that was going to be my great big crescendo to my life, but no, I need to elevate my mind dimension even further. I look at it all as, what else do you want to learn and grow in yourself? 
as people start to recognize their dominance, uh, is how can they use that information to improve their life, improve their uh, their access to their goals, uh, improve the lives of the people around them? That's a really good question. In my book, I have a self-inventory. It shows you what each of the dimensions, if you're looking like a rock star in each of your dimensions. And on the other side, it shows you when you're stressed. And the real purpose of that is to recognize your stress behaviors and rein yourself in before you derail yourself. For example, I was driving along with my friend. She's mind dominant. And she, I, I was in the passenger seat. And she said, because quite often mind dominant people, do you remember, they like to micromanage and they sometimes when they're stressed, they see everybody else as an idiot. So oh, she was driving and I, she said, look at that idiot just pulled out here. <laughs> look at that idiot over there. Just, oh my, there's just idiots on the road today. I'm sitting there silently. She finally turned to me and she said, I bet you think I'm a bit stressed. Kind of do. When you start looking at everybody as an idiot and you think that you're superior and you almost you depersonalize everybody as if they don't even have any feelings, then you know you're stressed. Step back. Step back. Because you're going to ruin your marriage. I get a lot of people saying that. I now know how I ruined my marriage because I'm a mind-dominant person. If you see yourself that way, rein in your stress behaviors and move to other dimensions. I see some, some of my clients were in a mind-dominant business because I'm in an oil and gas town, and they were engineers, and now they're retired. Well, now their sole purpose is starting to wake up. And they want to really explore that they have a, another purpose just waiting for them. And we go in and try and figure out what that is. So it's really about recognizing your stress behaviors. And you know what? When you know this model, and if you read my book, of course, I can only give you the, the brief here. But if you read it, you'll, you'll be able to see everybody in the street, everybody in your family. You'll know exactly on the spectrum of how much of their dimensions they've developed. And you can respond to them better. Listening to the description of your ride with your friend and your friend's uh, driving, <laughs> I'm reminded of myself. <laughs> and uh, and I just figured it's because everybody else on the road is an idiot. I mean, I was kind of convinced of that. Um, but, but I'm starting to rethink that based on what you Rain just said. it in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I use the exact words. It's kind of funny. Um, is that stress? Oh, it's, it's, it's very common, that word idiot. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it, so it's, now you know you're going to go, oops, bring yeah, it in. Yeah, okay. I, I've learned something already. Um, let's talk about <laughs> other folks. So you've worked with a lot of folks, and you've uh, mm-hmm. taught this theory. You've explained it. You've helped people understand how they can use it in their lives. Um, tell me a little bit more about the people you've worked with. You must have some great success success stories. When I first started using it, I was still a high school teacher. And when I first came up, I I actually wrote my first book. I called it The Exquisiteness of Being Human, and it was more from a spirit-dominant point of view. Um, But when I first came up with this model, I was doing my master's, and I was so excited about it. I came back to my classroom, and I taught high school. I put it up on the blackboard, and I said, hey, you guys, what do you think about this? 
And kids in the classroom going, oh, yeah, I'm a body-dominant person. I'm on every sports team. I love rugby. Uh, the mind dominance were going, oh, yeah, I'm logical, rational. They're the ones that always want to know where they lost their 0.01%. Um, and so the mind dominance, they could see it. And what I found when the class was over and they left for lunch, that it was the spirit dominance that stayed behind. And quite often they were wearing those big hoodies with a hood over top, monochromatic clothes, like they were always in uh, either all black or all blue. They had their earbuds in, kind of pale-looking, hair a little bit, you know, raggedy. And they said, you just explained everything that's going on inside me. I Because quite often they were the kids that were disappearing in the classroom. I do actually a presentation for teachers called Invisible Kids. Because if you take your attendance, you'll know who the body kids are because they're in your face all period long. The mind kids, they're always wanting to know where they lost their marks and they're answering every question. The spirit kids, if you don't take attendance at the beginning of the period and you're trying to catch up at the end, you don't remember if you saw that spirit dominant kid. Um, and so it's just, the, and what we find in the research also is that these spirit dominant kids, the boys have struggle more because what you, what you find out is they're very, very sensitive. And they try and hide their sensitivity by wearing maybe this kind of hoodie and looking a little tougher than they really are on the inside. And when you start realizing that all of that is a mask to cover up, that they're actually very sensitive, they're the poets, the artists, the musicians, but they're trying to create this kind of rough exterior so that everybody will just leave them alone. And I found that a very powerful thing. And it made me be able to teach these kids better because I, because they were wanting to go home instead of finding their home here on earth. And I asked them a really powerful question, JB, because they were sitting there never saying anything, never really engaging. And I asked them this really powerful question. And I said, where do you go when you get sick of us? Because spirit-dominant people, because they find the world harsh and abrasive, they get saturated by the human experience every day. They reach their limit of people, and they need to go and be by themselves. So now imagine all these spirit-dominant kids in a classroom of 35 or 40. They're already shutting down by the time they arrive at 9 in the morning. When I ask them that question, where do you go when you get sick of us? The answers were amazing. One boy said to me, I'm building a skateboard park. I went across the hall, I got him a journal book, and I said, do you ever draw out those skateboard parks that you're making? Do, you ha do any numbers, formulas come into your consciousness? Well, they do. Write them down. Are you taking physics? Are you doing drafting? Are you doing, what maths are you taking? Well, he wasn't taking any of these courses. I said, we need to redo your whole time schedule. And the other thing you're doing as a spirit-dominant person is because you're going into your spirit imaginary world and you're not staying here on earth. And then what I want you to do is I want you to, just like I, you know, if you haven't run for a long time and you want to start jogging, you run five minutes, walk five minutes, run five minutes. And I said, I want you to stay on earth five minutes, then look in your journal book at your skateboard park back here for five minutes, 
skateboard park, five minutes, until next day, stay here in the lesson for 10 minutes. And when you go to math class, I want you to stay. Keep Every day you're going to build up your threshold for being here as a human being. Amazing results, JV. Wow. Yeah. Um, let's talk because, uh, you know, time goes pretty quickly on this program, and I want to make sure we get to all this, but you offer a lot of workshops how do the workshops work with people? Do you do are you, basically what you've done here tonight? Do you explain these five dimensions? Do you try to determine what each person is? Explain how your workshops work. I, I get them to go through their self-inventory so they can rate, rate themselves zero to five on a whole bunch of different things. In, like the body is a multidimensional concept, so is the mind and so is the spirit. So they rate themselves and then they look at their stress behaviors. And my favorite thing, because people come back, like they'll, I have a woman, I have a workshop on Monday. We're going to do it on Zoom. It was supposed to be in Burnaby, BC, but COVID. So we're, I'm running it on Zoom. So any of our listeners can join in on that too if they want to. They can check out my website. We'll put up that information at the end here. Uh, so they do their self inventory. They look at their stress behaviors, and my favorite part is when people come back to me and take the test again, they'll say, I used to have those stress behaviors, and I've grown out of them, and I've really elevated in all of these dimensions. So that's my favorite part. But there are other things that we don't get taught in our culture about how the spirit behaves here on Earth. Because if you think about, I've watched your show, and uh, it's, we have a lot of people talking about ghosts. Yeah. Well, your spirit, when it, when it becomes a ghost, well, your spirit's in you all along. It's not like it suddenly appears when you die. Right. And you can be a ghost right now, and that's what a lot of my spirit-dominant kids are. They're still ghosts in their own life. And so I get a lot of spirit-dominant people into my workshops, so they'll recognize Am I a body dominant, a mind? How does my spirit behave? And I have a bunch of exercises. I can do those on Zoom. I'm going to be doing them where I show you how your spirit behaves, especially when it's stressed. And I'm going to give people some really fantastic tools about how you can keep your spirit in your body so that you can actually live your life better here on Earth. And then we make a plan about where you're going to elevate and that's what we're going to be doing on Monday night. Next Monday. Now let's um, let's just not let too much pa- time pass here. After mentioning that, this is available. Uh, people can connect to this or get information about it through your website. Is that what you said? Yes, and my and I noticed on your YouTube, my name is spelled incorrectly. But oh, it's, figures. It's Margo. So it, my website is Doctor D R M A R G O T M C K I N N O N. And they can send me an email. It has all my contact details on there. They can send me an email. I'm setting it up on Zoom. You have to pre-register because I don't want any Zoom bombers in there. And uh, so they can pre-register and I can let them get into that workshop. And it's only $42. You will learn so much about how the spirit behaves. It's absolutely incredible. And people go away with that and magical things start happening for them. That's the exciting part. When you decided to put all this into a book to help people understand it and uh, recognize how they could use it to help themselves, um, what was your 
what was the motivation to actually encapsulate it in this way? And can it be done without your personal instruction? Does the book, uh, is the book able to do that for people? It sure is, because um, I really wanted it to be something, I wanted something for all price points. So if you can't come and see me personally, or you can't fly up to Calgary, I do a retreat in, the, in uh, June, but I have to cancel it now because we can't run anything up here right now. Um, then have my book. It's twenty four ninety five, and it's a real guide. It will take you through each of your five dimensions, and it will really, um, and I, it will really take you through so that you're having these eureka moments. I have a conversation guide at the end of each chapter. People are turning it into a book club book, and they're saying, you know what? I, let's do this. Let's elevate all our five dimensions. Let's get this plan. A lot of people wanted it for 2020 to make this decade the best decade they've ever had. And now I'm finding people are stuck inside. So they're doing Zoom uh, book clubs with my book. Um, So when I put the book together in the first place, when I, um, I really, and I can't even remember if I mentioned this before, when the universe told me the model in the first place, I, it told me oneness came first. Oneness, soul, spirit, mind, body. But when I wrote this book, I put it the other way around because my editor said, Margot, people do not understand oneness when you put it first. It's too abstract of a concept. You need to put body so that people can go, oh, yeah, I get the idea of a body. Mind, yeah, I get that, logical, rational. Spirit, yeah, okay, and move them towards their purpose and move them towards oneness. But I always remind everybody, the universe actually puts oneness first. And I always ask everybody, what would happen? How would your life be different if you put oneness first, that's connection and belonging, if you put oneness first in everything you do, how would your life be different? Margo, what determines what our dominance is? Is it an environmental thing? Is it connected to our soul? Is it a genetic predisposition? I have a nice science chapter in my book, too, which really talks about the brain studies and the genetics of it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had Dean Hamer on your show, have you? I don't think we have, no. He's, he wrote The God Spot. And he's a geneticist in you in the in the U.S. and um, so he wrote the God Spot, and he did. He's convinced that there are some people who are more genetically inclined uh, to be to be interested in spiritual matters. For example, I love this example in his book, and uh, he had two brothers. One was a CEO of a company, couldn't care less about this whole spirit woo-woo stuff, and his brother was living in a cave in the Himalayas. How could they have the same parents, same genetic structure, you'd think? But he figured all of that out. And I would say in my model, well, his brother's mind-dominant and his one brother's mind-dominant and the other one's a spirit-soul person. And uh, so I think we're born that way, but I think it's because each one serves a purpose. And on my the cover of my book, I have it as a pie circle where each dimension is 
equal. No dimension's better. Some people think being a spirit dominant is better than, say, being a, mo- a body dominant. It's not. Each one brings a whole fresh perspective to life. So I think you're born that way. You can look at little kids, those little ones that can crawl and walk at nine months, you know, walking by nine months, love their food. Uh, those little ones that are mind-dominant that can read before they start kindergarten. Then you have the spirit-dominant that can't walk, can't crawl by the time they're 18 months and can barely talk. Their spirit, oftentimes, they're spirit-dominant kids. Spirit-dominant kids take a lot longer to understand what it's like to be human. And I have a parenting section in my book, too, because the studies are showing that when you have these spirit-dominant children, you have to parent them differently. And you can do a lot of damage if you don't really understand and if, how they're developing. So there are some signs in, in my book that I point out that you can watch your child, whether they're body or mind. I mean, I do get some spirit-dominant parents saying, I have this mind-dominant child that's driving me crazy. They're so logical and rational. Everything has to be just thus and so. And they want them to learn how to, their child to learn how to be more spirit. Margo, how does this uh, work in community applications? In other words, if we had a, a group of people around the table, if you had one from each of the dominances, would that group work better together or would people of the same dominance work better together? I think as in a leadership model, we need to have all five. And I think leaders need to recognize, you see, your soul dominance are quite often your visionaries and so are your spirit dominance. Um. They're your visionaries, but the visionaries tend not to get as much, um, well, even money in the organization, because the mind dominant will take that vision and create the structure for the company. And then the, per- the mind dominant gets the money out of it and the credit and the soul dominant, because it only took them maybe five or 10 minutes to come up with that big idea. It's not as valued, if that makes sense. So what I would say is, in an organization, watch out who these people are and make sure you have a really nice nice balance in your organization. And since I was an educator, make sure all educators know, to, know that you have all these different types of children in your room and they all deserve attention. And I'm also, I paired up actually with um, a poverty, their uh, Canadian Poverty Institute, and uh, I was at a function, and this woman said, oh, I study child poverty. What do you do? And I said, oh, I look at spirituality for public education. She said, well, in our world, people would say, if a child doesn't have a pair of shoes, what good is spirituality? And I said, well, if a child doesn't have a reason to live, what good is a pair of shoes? Right. Well, now we've, we're pairing together so that we can, ha- we can use my model, the five dimensions of self, as a way of pulling kids out of poverty. And I'm also working with another group for immigrant kids to look at racism and look at it because it it really opens up new territory to talk about racism as far as is it just they're attacking your physical self, but are they attacking your spirit self, who you really are as a person? Are they attacking your sense of purpose? And a lot of immigrant kids, when they come up to Canada from wherever, they might not find a big sense of purpose here. They, they've been dragged along by their parents and their whole full part of themselves isn't realized here. 
So I would say in a whole group thing, it's, it's more it has, it's a lens through look, as a way of looking at anything. My son's using it as a business model. He said, I can tell every one of my clients when, when I have to meet with them, I know exactly how to talk to them. I know exactly how to sell to a body-dominant person. I know what a mind-dominant person, what information they need. And I know when I see a spirit-dominant person, I know exactly how to use this model as a sales tool. It's multidimensional and very, very easy to apply to different settings. Yeah, I want to ask you about the educationer, uh, the educational part of this, or as being an educator. If, if you're an educator with a mind-dominated um, self, are you able to relate as well to someone who is a spirit-dominated self uh, as, as an educator and a student? If you're a balanced person, so my dad is a mind-dominant engineer, but he had me as a daughter. So in order to get along with me, he had to really open up to the whole spirit, soul, oneness. I remember with my first book, he told me, don't write about your spiritual experiences, whatever you do. I didn't listen, of course, and I wrote about it anyway, so I'm <laughs> glad I didn't listen. Um, so he's opened it up. So there are some mind-dominant people who say, no, I can understand you have a spirit, and they can actually engage in conversation, and they're curious. But if you have a rigid, stressed-out, mind-dominant teacher, it's very difficult. And those spirit-dominant, very sensitive students, they can see quite often because the teacher's there and has a very straight part and a very rigid haircut and rigid clothes. So the spirit-dominant sitting there not being really able to relate to that teacher. Do uh, each of these dominances dominances um, lend themselves well to certain professions? For example, would a mind-dominated individual be a better doctor, per se? I mean, a a medical doctor? Is is there any relationship that way? I think so. Um, My dad... I always talk about my dad, but he, uh, he's still, he's 90, but he still volunteers at the ICU unit at the hospital. And he said, you can tell the mind dominant doctors from the soul dominant doctors because he works, he's a volunteer. So he sees all the families and the doctor will come out and talk to the families about the surgery or how the patient's doing. And he said, the mind dominants don't have the real depth of emotion and they just give the facts. And the families are sitting there crumbling, whereas the soul dominant, this is their calling in life. And also, interest. I was in San Diego about two years ago, and I, I happened to have run into this man who was at a surgeon, surgeon's conference. And at first, he said, oh, so what do you do? And I explained my five dimensions of self. I could see woo-woo being written across his forehead, but he, <laughs> he was nice enough to listen to me. And then finally, he said, you know what? This is going to help me in teaching my surgical students because I have some soul-dominant surgical students, and I'm not giving them enough credit about that this is their calling. And I have some mind-dominant surgical students who don't don't see it as their calling. And he said, this is really going to help me understand how to teach my surgical students better. I have a man, in um, he's in the UK, and he bought my book. He's a very famous museum designer. And uh, he, he ordered up copies for his whole staff because he said, this helps me in designing museums. What's the physical structure? 
what's the what's the lot this is supposed to be an educational tool what's the how are we going to build in the educational component how are we going to build in the spirit of this museum how are we going to make it on purpose and his favorite was how do we create a sense of oneness in design it can really apply to so many different uh careers so engineers doctors could be mind dominant but they can also, if they want to open up all five dimensions, and they'll actually be a much more powerful person, more insightful if they develop all five. We have a question from our chat room. Michelle wants to know um, if some are born spirit dominant, if someone is born spirit dominant but uh, suppresses that and uh, may wear the mask of mind or body dominant just to assimilate. Does that happen? And if it does, how does it affect somebody? Uh, I had that actually with one of my clients. She was a lawyer and she said, if I, my parents said I had to be a lawyer and I struggled forever, it even made me ill to have to be in that mind dominant structure when I'm a spirit dominant person. I had another client, she said, I know I look like I'm a body dominant. She had, you know, those eyelashes and the nails and the um, perfect hair and everything. And she said, I know I look body dominant, but that's because my mother was body dominant. And she, she would get off my case if I were perfectly made up and my room were perfectly you know, cleaned and everything. And then I could go into my spirit world and I could live there. So what it does is it really makes you feel like an imposter in your own life when you can't, when you have to live up to somebody else's expectations of you. Is it dangerous? Does it, does it lead to some type of um, psychological or emotional disturbances? It does. That's why I have a parenting section in my book, because you really need to recognize, especially spirit-dominant kids early. And if you have the spirit-dominant kids that are seeing ghosts, and um, like I was, I had wonderful parents who my mother would, when she put me to bed at night, look behind your curtain. Do they ever go under your bed? Look in your cupboard. And they really always, when I had a vision about the future, they took it seriously. I had wonderful parents. But what the research is showing, and uh, if you ever look up uh, Alistair Hardy, he, he did a massive, and it's still ongoing, but in the 60s, he did a massive study where people shared their spiritual experiences, and then he clustered them, categorized them. And one common golden thread that ran through that was that when parents, uh, said to their child, oh, that's ridiculous, or don't be so silly, or you're just trying to get attention. But what it did to that child was it made them uncertain of what reality is, because that spiritual experience is more real to them than sitting beside somebody on the bus. And so they really, they need to be parented very carefully. Margo, are you familiar with Star Children? I've heard of them. I haven't really researched them. There are a lot of theories involving star children. One of our uh, chatters had a question regarding star children in, this, in, in these concepts. If you're not that familiar, it's probably not going to be a relevant, relevant question. Let's talk a little bit more about what you do when you have private consultations with people. You do private readings, right? 
I do. And the, my system is this. I like their question ahead of time. And then I like to sit in the spirit dimension. I usually go for a run and I have a chat with that voice that talks to me. And I'll say, so what is it? Um, for example, I had a woman, she wanted to know her purpose in life. And I thought, oh, I need to give her a tool, which is to write out her life history. And I have a, just a very simple tool for her to do that. And it takes you from your birth, starting kindergarten, when you finish school, and if you retire, it depends on how old you are. Anyway, I, I gave that to her. I emailed it to her and I said, fill this in and then bring it to your meeting with me. And uh, I went for a run, and the voice said to me, oh, she needs to, this one was a high-pitched voice, she needs to remember her kindergarten self. Oh, okay. So I wrote it down on my yellow pad of paper, put it on my dining room table. She arrived. And I said, so how did your life history chart go? And she said, well, I, I got stuck at kindergarten. Really? Well, what did, was kindergarten a good experience or a bad experience? It was really great. Why? Well, because I came from a very abusive household, and when I went to kindergarten, I found out there were really kind people. My teacher was kind. I loved all the... So I was writing everything down, everything she loved about kindergarten. And then I said, are you done? And she said, yes. What? And I said, would you like to see what the spirit said? Yes. So I go over to my dining room table, and I take my yellow pad of paper, and on it, it says, remember your kindergarten self. I said, so go back to all these things that we just wrote down on this piece of paper. And you need to go back and do all these things. And it just changed her life. So for me, they come in and they'll pick out something really specific for that person. Things that don't make a bit of sense to me, but they make perfect sense to the person. I write it all down ahead of time. And if it's a distance consult, I'll take a picture of it and I'll just text it to them so that they have a picture of and we can go down the list of everything that the spirits told me for them. What's the difference between your workshops and your retreats? Because you do both. In my workshop, if I do a workshop, sometimes they're like in a building. And you can't really go into the spirit. It's harder to go into the spirit dimension when you're in a classroom situation. So the retreat, it's, can you believe it? It's on the Ghost River, just outside of Calgary. So it's already woo-woo. And it's called, at, I have it at the Crossing Retreat Center. And what we do is we go down to the river and we call in oneness, which is God. We open up that door. And I have a meditation that we do that we call in oneness. Open the door. And the whole retreat is a date with your spirit. You need to promise your spirit that you'll create the life it came here to live. And then we come back up to the house and I... Uh, the inside part, and I take them through a whole bunch of activities to open up their spirit dimension, and then they have a gorgeous lunch, and then they go off somewhere on the ground. There's 145 acres, so some some are sitting on a rocky ledge, some are in a forest or in a pasture or by the river, and they do all the exercises that I teach them that get them connected with the voice that I hear, and the most amazing things happen. And, uh, so, and so, for example, one woman, she said, she's a mind-dominant accountant, and she said, well, I did the exercises, and I had a few tears. I thought I was going to have more tears. And then, but Margot said, if I say to the universe, 
universe, I am ready now to step into my next highest self. I'm ready. Show me what it is. And she said, lo and behold, in came a voice I've never heard in my life and told me everything that I'm supposed to do in my life. Like a video. I taught my son how to do it, too. He said, Mom, I don't have time to read your book. Just give me the nutshell. <laughs> what do I do? And um, I showed him how you, how you promise your five dimensions you're going to elevate. You promise your spirit that you're going to create the life it wants to live. You promise your soul dimension you will live on purpose. And you promise oneness that you will be a force of connection and belonging. Promise that. And then the voice comes swooping in and shows you what to do. I have some people say, I bought your book. I was going to read it before bed. I put it on my nightstand. I've never had a spiritual experience in my life. I went, I wanted to read it, didn't, you know, fell asleep. And my grandparents and my parents came in my dream and started talking. For some reason, this little book opens up that door and people are having spiritual experiences right, left, and center, just out of the book. And it's creating lovely conversations. One of my clients told from my retreat, she said, I had it on my coffee table. My dad picked it up, started reading it. He's now on the third go at it. He's reading it for the third time, and it's opened up conversations. I didn't even know he had ever thought about spiritual experience. And now he's telling me all these spiritual experiences he's had. It's really incredible. Margo, what do you want people to walk away with after they've read the book? Maybe for the first time. They read it for the first time. What do you want them to walk away with? I want them to get excited about their life. I want them to find the exquisite. They are a unique person. They were put here at this point in time in history for a reason. And we can get bound up in in all kinds of kind of mind-dominant structures, when really, release that. Read this book. Do all the exercises. I have exercises for you to do in that. Go in there and decide where you want to elevate. I I love getting emails from my readers. I get them all the time. And I I even have it in my book. Get to a certain page and I just say, you know, um, try this exercise. Email me when you're done. Um, I want them to get so excited, and I want that the universe voice to come in so that they don't have to rely on paying somebody to go like go there and get their tarot cards read. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I don't want to run that down, but we have the capability of doing it for yourself, and I'm showing you how to do it. We're out of time, but let people know mm-hmm. how they can get a hold of the book find out more information about your workshops and your retreats, or maybe even schedule a private session? They can go on my website, www.drmargotmckinnon.com. So that's Dr. Margo McKinnon. Don't forget the T in there, though. DrMargoMcKinnon.com. They can send me an email. My email is DrMargoMcKinnon at gmail.com. Send me an email. I love it. 
And if they want to order my book, they can send me an email. E-transfers are great. I'll pop it in the mail tomorrow. Perfect. This is really great information and, and clearly very, very powerful. Thank you so much for spending the time with us, Margo. We appreciate it. And I look forward to having you back at some point. Once oh, it- thank you for inviting me on, J.D. That was really fun. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.